Hey, good morning, Faith Family. Um, great to be with you again today. I'm going to invite you to uh, take a Bible if you brought one with you and open it up to uh, John chapter 20. And we are, we've been in this uh, series called uh, Living Hope um, for the past several weeks. Really, we started at Easter, looking at that passage in 1 Peter. And we've been talking about uh, the different characters that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection and how um, they were really wrestling to find hope in a very dark um, circumstance. And ultimate, they found their hope in the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus. And uh, we want just to remind you today that that hope is available um, to you and to me in the same exact way. So we've said this before, and I want to kind of emphasize this again, that we should be Easter people. Not just an event that we celebrated one time, but the hope of the resurrection should live um, within us and should spur us on on a daily basis. We should be Easter people looking for the silver linings in the cloud, um, knowing that we are ultimately optimistic because Jesus himself has won the war against death itself. So today we're going to look at Thomas. And most of you might immediately, as we talk about Thomas, jump to this caricature of him um, that's thought through the modern church as we think through church history, and that's of doubting Thomas. And that's partially true. The passage we're going to look at today shows that in uh, full form. But just to bring a little context uh, back to the passage before we actually jump in it, Jesus has been killed by the Romans in this gruesome death. He's taken off the cross by some who wouldn't even call themselves disciples uh, when Jesus was here, Joseph of Arimathea. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. He's risen from the grave three days later, and he begins to make these appearances um, to some of his followers. It's interesting to me how he immediately goes to his followers and begins to restore their faith redirect their efforts and re-energize their work almost immediately. I think if I was in that situation as Jesus, I would have immediately showed up kind of creepily and, uh, and maybe in Pilate's office and show, showed him that I, that I did it. I, I actually resurrected from the grave, but not Jesus. No, he, he went first and he began to restore the faith of the disciples as they were all scattered. They were weeping. They were in deep grief, of course. And for some, like Mary, it only took a word. Jesus spoke her name, and she knew that it was him. For some of the other disciples, it was just the report that he had risen. They were shared, Mary shared it with them, and they took off running, Scripture says. They, they knew just by the report. But for Thomas, not for Thomas, he needed, he needed more than just a word or just a report. He was a bit of a skeptic. And it took him a little longer to come around. Again, in John 20, in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Those are pretty strong words from Thomas. I will never believe. So I've been studying this passage for several weeks now. I came across this note 
that Thomas was chosen as the climax of the gospel, not because he's a great doubter, but because he's a great apostle and a great Christian. This was not nominal Christianity that Thomas was going to be moving into. It was dangerous to be a Christian, certainly a Christian leader. And Thomas wanted to make sure that this thing was real. Now, before we actually get into uh, the actual meat of this passage, I want us to think what Thomas might have been feeling, thinking, experiencing. If you think about Thomas, this last week for him had been um, indescribable, really. If it started with Palm Sunday, them and Jesus and the disciples literally, literally being the center of the parade. And think about where it had ended up. So devastating of an end. And I think, Thomas, more is going on than maybe what we see in the surface. First, I think he's dealing with a lot of regret. Maybe he tried to push it away or forget about it, and he just couldn't. It just seemed to keep coming back. You know, just a week ago, and Jesus was praying in the garden, and he asked us to pray with him, and we just couldn't. We just kept falling asleep. And then Jesus was arrested and scourged and hung on a cross, and none of us were there. Surely Thomas had this overwhelming regret that he didn't show up when he should have shown up. When Christ needed him the most, he was nowhere to be found. And now this regret can be a really powerful feeling. I know I identify with that, and maybe you can too. Maybe you didn't show up when you needed to, and you didn't realize how serious things were. Maybe you said the wrong thing just so disappointed in yourself. And the enemy uses that and heaps piles of shame on us. I'm sure Thomas on some level felt that sting, but not just the regret. I think also Thomas is feeling the disappointment really weighing on him. Disappointment of some of his best friends not being who they said they were. Judas had been one of the boys for at least the past three years as they did ministry with Jesus. I mean, he was trusted. Think of all the things that they would have experienced with Judas. How many people were raised from the dead? Just the week before this, as Lazarus is raised from the dead. Or Jesus speaking and quieting the storm. So many things they had seen Jesus do. And now Judas just betrays the whole group of them. That kind of betrayal leaves a mark on your heart. Still to this day, I'm sure, there's things that have happened to you. Disappointment, betrayal, things that you can't really just make a whole lot of sense of. Something someone did to you, much maybe far in the past. Maybe it was God himself who didn't come through. Surely Father God would not allow such a gruesome thing to happen. And maybe you identify with that as ever been a time when you were praying to God and asking him to come through for, for you. And you prayed and prayed and prayed and things didn't get better. Or you lost the job anyway. Or you went to the funeral. And you thought, God, where are you in all of this? The regret, the disappointment. Surely there's the death of a dream. 
Thomas was surely with them a few days ago, Palm Sunday. Again, stars of the parade, certainly thinking this is going to be so good. God is actually going to restore his kingdom. How could things have changed so quickly? Certainly they were looking at the coronation of Christ as king, not a bloody death between two thieves. In his mind, things couldn't have gotten any worse. Oh, and remember, Thomas was one of the ones that led the charge to go back to Jerusalem. When Jesus was talking about Lazarus being sick, his good friend in Bethany, and they were discussing it, and they were saying, Jesus, you know you can't go back there. They're going to kill you. They're going to stone you, I think it even says in the scripture. And Thomas is the one that leads the charge. In verse 16 of uh, John 11, he says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. I say all of this to kind of really help us understand what kind of head and heart space Thomas is in during those difficult days after the resurrection. I remember learning this story as a little kid and thinking, man, Thomas is just a fluke, you know. It's like if you were to order the 12, you would have had uh, Judas at the very bottom, right? And uh, according to John, you might have John at the, at the very top, the beloved disciple, but Thomas was certainly, you know, towards the bottom. I mean, how could someone go through all of that? How could someone see Jesus speak and the wind stop blowing and yet not believe? But the older I get, the more I really identify with a lot of the things that I think Thomas was going through. Let's look at the passage. In John 20 and verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, John records. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You pray with me real quickly. And as I pray aloud, if you would just pray silently, would you ask God just to speak to your heart this morning? You know, it's one thing to listen to a sermon. It's another thing to posture your heart to really hear from the God of the universe as he speaks. God, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that it finds a fertile soil in our hearts and our minds. And as we believe it and obey it, it produces lasting fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
leave it to Tim Keller, the author, uh, former pastor of that great church in New York City. I was reading some of his commentary uh, on this book. Uh, he wrote several books uh, towards skeptics or people who are skeptical about Christianity. And he uses this uh, illustration with Thomas or this narrative with Thomas as the focus. And this is what he says that this encounter with Thomas comes is the final picture of the gospel for a reason. That in order for this truth, the resurrection of Christ, to be real in our hearts, we all have to deal with doubt on some level. We all have to bring our doubts to Jesus. As we look through this passage, it's pretty simple. You kind of get the picture that Jesus had showed up a couple times Several disciples had seen him. Once all gathered together, and it says Thomas was not with them. And so the, the disciples are repeating to him, retelling, Thomas, you missed it, man. Of all things to miss, the appearance of someone from the dead is not the thing you want to miss. And this is when he says, no, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger in the nail holes. A week later, the disciples are together again. Thomas is with them. I love, too, it says here that the doors were locked, which would have been expected, as persecution was um, certainly existent there. And then Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. His first greeting is peace. Then his next focus is Thomas. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here see the scars. And Thomas, then he says, and do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. As I'm sure you've wrestled with doubts and confusion in the past, as you've dealt with pain, and regret and disappointment. I think this is pretty a pretty common struggle to many. So I want to talk just real quickly, just a few ways to find faith or grow your faith that we see in this passage with Thomas. The first is that we would listen to the apostles. Verse 25 says, they kept telling Thomas. They kept telling him, Jesus is alive. He appeared to us. One of the greatest ways to grow our faith is just to see Jesus in the Gospels. Not how you learned about him, maybe way back when, if you grew up in church on a flannel graph, or not about what your professor said about him, but to see Jesus, who he really is in the Gospel, how he interacted with people with such kindness, how he was so fierce against um, the religious of the day for leading people astray. To see the real Jesus, how he walked and taught, it kind of helps us come out of this religious fog to see who Jesus really is. I read this week a story about Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, two people who sought out to disprove the claims of Jesus by reading the Gospels. And of course, at the end of their journey, they become believers themselves. And certainly countless others have gone on the same journey. Some of the best thing you can do when you really face real doubt 
is to face your doubts right on, to tell them to Jesus, and then to listen to the apostles, just to open your word. Scripture says of itself that it's living and active. Just this week, I've been studying in um, John 11 and in Mark 9, just these stories of Jesus, and I've been meditating on them, not, not moving quickly through them. I've been in, in, in John 11 for about three weeks and Mark 9 for about three months, just reading these stories over and over to see how Jesus spoke and he taught. And it really bolsters my faith. I got to listen to the apostles. Another way to grow your faith from this passage is to see how patient Jesus has been with you. Verse 27, when he shows up in the room with Thomas there, he just, I can just see him, right? Putting out his hand. Thomas, put your finger here. Jesus answers his question specifically, although he had not heard Thomas say, I'm never going to believe. It's not like Jesus showed up with the other uh, disciples and they said, hey, that Thomas guy, they, he said he's never going to believe unless he puts his finger in your hand. No, no, Jesus knew the doubts that Thomas had and he was so patient as he showed up and invited Thomas to restore his own faith. Jesus answers his question specifically. The point being, Jesus knew his doubts and addressed them with such gentleness, such patience. Do you see how patient Jesus has been with you in this journey? All the times when you've failed miserably, all the promises you made to him, God, if you get me out of this, then I'm just going to serve you forever. In his book, A Reason for God, Tim Keller puts it this way, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. What a time to talk about antibodies, right? People who blithely go through life too busy or too indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. And Jesus is so patient. He doesn't show up to Thomas and chide him because of his earlier remarks. No, he invites him to put his finger in the scars. The next way from this passage we see to grow our faith is to look at the wounds of Jesus. Is it strange to you that the wounds are still there? Revelation talks about a time when they're searching heaven to find the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And Jesus is there, the lamb that had been slain, still with his scars marking his wrists, as if eternal proof that sin didn't get the last victory. The things that really dealt with Thomas's doubt was to see the actual wounds. 
It's one thing to be told what to believe. It's something entirely different to seek out the truth on your own. To get through your doubt, you're going to have to wrestle an encounter with the cross of Christ. I mean, to really wrestle with it, to understand its power, to see the Lord in his heart and his sovereignty over everything, and yet that he takes on the form of a servant. To see a king who gives up his life for you and for me. There's no other religion that would dare put forth a wounded God and on top of that one who was wounded for us. Me and my dad read a book together many, many years ago. I don't even remember the name of the book, but I remember the point because me and my dad talked about it often. If you ever feel that God is distant and has given up on you, look back no further than the cross. The cross sits as this ongoing reminder of the love of God for us. Finally, you've got to drop your conditions. You see, the condition Thomas originally had was, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger in the scar. And yet the passage shows us when Jesus actually showed up, Thomas didn't need to put his finger there. When Thomas was in the presence of Jesus, he forgot about his conditions. He realized that he had demanded this condition. Now, friends, if you're coming to God and you're saying, God, I will believe in you if you do these things for me, then you're coming with conditions. You aren't actually seeking to worship Jesus. In a sense, you're actually seeking to worship yourself since you're the one who gets to draw the contract of what this means. You're the one demanding the conditions to be met. But we see here that Thomas dropped the conditions and responded, my Lord and my God. That's pretty important and powerful too, just that phrase. That he was God, certainly the maker of heaven and earth. He was God, capital G God. Yet he was also Lord with a capital L the one that would rule over life. I encourage you to look at a few of these, but before I finish, and if you can hang with me a little bit longer, I want to mention one other thing. This wasn't the first time that Thomas had really heard about this idea of belief. And maybe you would say, you know, Thomas had the benefit of seeing the scars of seeing Jesus dead on the cross and then resurrected in this room in a glorified body. And you and I don't have that privilege. Even Jesus would say this in verse 39. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. A while before this incident happened, there was a story that Mark tells us, Mark chapter 9. I was reading that this week and I couldn't help the Lord just prompting in my own heart. I feel like he was telling us something. To give you context real quick and not read the whole story in Mark 9, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. 
where God showed up in this incredible way. Moses and Elijah and God speaking. It was this incredible thing. They come down the mountain. The other disciples are down there at the bottom of the mountain. And they're arguing about something. Jesus walks up and he says, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. Then he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to Jesus, and Jesus' first question And I would think Jesus at this point would say something to the effect of like, man, those pesky demons always, you know, always taking over people. His frustration was not with the demonic world. His frustration at this moment was with the lack of faith of the disciples. Oh, faithless generation. They bring the boy to Jesus. Jesus, at first question, After it seized the demon, actually convulsed the boys. How long has this been happening? His father says, from childhood. And it often cast him in the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. His father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus, a bit astounded, says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And then if we're going to have a real talk this morning, the father says something that might be the most real statement. From a dad in scripture. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And if I can be real and authentic with you today, that that's a prayer that I have often, that I even pray, God, I believe. In my head, I believe. I know these things are true. I know that you, Jesus, were the Son of God, and you you died on a cross, and you uh, were buried, and you raised from the dead, and you ascended back to heaven and you promised your eventual return. I know that. I, I believe it in my mind. I believe it in my heart. But some days it just seems so far, so out of grasp, so divorced from our own thinking and conviction. Jesus, in the story, cast the demon out of the boy. And then his disciples went for a little debrief, a little debriefing session. In verse 28, when they'd entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out with prayer and fasting. To end this little message about finding hope in the midst of doubt. I think this gives us such a great lesson. One, the authenticity of the dad. I believe, help my unbelief. But even Jesus gives us 
some direction here. This kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. And let me wrap this up. Maybe you could talk about this today, even over the lunch table. Prayer is us turning up the voice of God, us listening to him, really seeking his face, connecting our heart with his heart, letting him know what's on our heart and listening for his voice to us, turning up the voice of God. Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer and by fasting. If prayer is turning up the voice of God, then fasting is turning down the noise of the world. We've been in quarantine for six weeks. There's a lot of noise still in our lives. Social media, the Netflix binging, the three zillion Zoom calls. Maybe it's all the food, whatever you're turning to, to really comfort your soul. When we fast from those things, we turn down their pool. We turn down the noise of the world. And if we can do that at the same time, turning up the voice of God through our reading of scripture and through prayer, God really begins to speak to us. I don't know about you, I can only tell you what's true in my own life. When I feel the weakest, spiritually, when I feel the doubts just abounding in my own head and my heart, normally I look at a life where my rhythms are all out of whack. Most people that I find are really wrestling with lingering doubts, mostly myself, aren't really seeking his face. And my encouragement for you is to do just that to turn up the voice of God in your life through reading the word, through prayer, listening to him speak to you, and to turn down the noise of the world. Now to wrap this thing up, church history tells us Thomas went on to bring the gospel as far as India, living out the remainder of his life, telling this great story of freedom and rescue. And I want to remind you that God has a great plan of rescue and freedom for you. It's a plan that started before the foundation of the world, and he's been chasing after you, making his grace and his mercy available to you. He knows about the pain of the past. He knows the doubts and the hurts and the frustration, and he invites you in. Maybe you would respond as this Father, did I believe, help my unbelief? Or maybe you'd respond even as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. I'm going to pray for us. And again, as I pray aloud, I encourage you to pray silently. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've stepped across a line of faith and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would, I would invite you to do that today. Maybe others of you have been dealing with doubt. I encourage you to press into the voice of God. God, thanks for your love, your mercy, your grace. Help us to walk in your truth. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So Jason, I wanted to um, just have a little dialogue with you, um, as we did even last week, about this issue of um, doubt and belief and wrestling with that. Um, have you seen, uh, I guess in your leadership, have you seen 
more or less of that in past weeks and months, years? Uh, I would say within our church, what I have noticed, uh, maybe not the past few weeks, maybe in the past few years, is that a lot of people in our church have walked through this sense of doubt in their lives. And I think what they're really doubting is having a personal faith with God. They were passed down a faith from their parents, the good parts and the bad parts, right? And they're coming to a point in their life where their faith has to be theirs. And what they're really doubting is kind of like the fake faith they had. And so on the surface, even as the story you shared about Tim Keller and the antibodies, and how we're, we're conditioned or taught that doubt is a bad thing, right. right? But truly what doubt does is refines our faith. And what I see with a lot of people at our church, even myself on some level, is as we do have questions and we have doubts, as we kind of walk through those things, uh, our faith is refined and it's more, and it's a truer faith. It's a greater faith in that time. So, have you ever um, have you ever experienced some doubt on in your own life? Yes, and amen. Uh, absolutely. I think what you said uh, in your sermon, it was just so brilliant. Was uh, <laughs> I got it from Tim Keller? You know, whatever. <laughs> was the turning up the volume, turn down the voice of the world? Right. I, for me, this is it's almost like clockwork. It is. If there's a season in my life, whether it's days, weeks, um, even months on some level, where I am not turning up the voice of God in my life, uh, and, I'm turning, and I'm turning up the things of the world in my life, doubt just follows. My faith literally wanes in those seasons. And that has been so true for so many people that I know in my life, friends in my life, is we, because what we really doubt is our relationship with God is a personal relationship. Right. It is, as you mentioned with prayer and fasting, that we are seeking the actual voice of God. That is what really gives life to our faith. Not just knowing things, but actual life with Jesus. That's kind of the essence of our faith. And when that is removed, um, doubt is going to come. It has for me, for sure. Sure. So. Yeah, I think in a very similar way. that uh, For me, if I ignore the regular rhythms, uh, if I'm physically tired, yep. um, if I'm uh, emotionally and mentally spent, um, and there's this perfect storm that only happens in my life where all those three things, uh, physically, as I get older, things are changing in my own, in my own body. I get tired. Just you, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. And all of those things. And if you put on top of that, any just real stress, any mm-hmm. kind of, uh, bad thing that would happen, um, I tend, I, I tend to go in this kind of spiral, downward spiral. Um, and over the years I've just learned to identify what those are. Yeah. Uh, to be honest about them, I love too. And we didn't mention the sermon that Thomas was just super honest about sure, his doubts. Sure. He didn't try to just like smile in front of the other disciples and be like, "That's a song, too, right?" It's, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. 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 How much longer? Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, so for people who are dealing with this, what what uh, what other advice would you uh, would yeah. you give them? I would think about take? this season in particular and the, and the virus and all the stuff. What we've really seen is. What I feel like, this is going to sound counterintuitive, is to me, my faith has grown from this. Because the things I've turned up in the past, whether it's sports, media, financial security, all that has been forced down during this season, correct? And it's reminding me of that passage, I believe it's in Psalms, of the grass withers and the flower fades. Our world is literally fading, and we're being reminded of that right now during this season. So I think to me, the natural conclusion of that is that there's only one thing to put our faith in. Right. And that's what I would encourage all of us with, is to allow this season to remind us that those things are going to fade away. But the word of the Lord, Jesus, God, our faith will remain. Yeah. 
I uh, just in the kind of parting thoughts here is I would encourage anybody who's really wrestling with this. Mm-hmm. Yes, to the points that we talked about and go to the cross. Um, but it's, it is welcome and expected for you to reach out to someone else and just let them know that those are real. I grew up in a culture where you couldn't doubt in church. Like if you had doubts, it was like you were off the team almost. <laughs> or you were looked, or maybe I just thought, maybe I just felt that way. Sure. Maybe that wasn't the culture. Um, but I certainly felt that. And as the, old, the older I've gotten, um, the more I've walked with God, the more I understand how much I don't understand. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting even here. Thomas was honest. And, but then Thomas is still with the other disciples. He doesn't yes. even believe. He doesn't check out. Yeah. 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 You other 11, y'all keep doing your thing. Right. I'm not a believer, but I'm going to be right. with you. And that right. was still a, a, a space for him. Right. A welcome space. And, uh, and, he, and he didn't quit investigating. So I would just encourage anybody to uh, kind of tune in, any part of our church family or watching, that you'd reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a link below you somewhere that you can uh, fill out a little connection card with us and Maybe that's just your prayer. If you just be honest enough, if we could have, if we could be real and honest and say, you know what, I'm really struggling in this season. You don't have to give us all the information just so we'd know um, what's going on. We can pray specifically um, for you. So, all right, man. That's all, all right. I got. It's good. Thanks, all guys. Right.